Welcome. Welcome to Fearless with Jason Whitlock. Happy Monday to you. And boy, do I have a fantastic show planned for us today. I've got a fire starter, an opening monologue that will set the world on fire. I hope you're ready for it. Uh, but first, I want to tell you, Greg Couch is going to join us later in the show from Chicago. We'll talk about Kevin Durant's legacy and whether an Olympic gold medal could enhance it. Uncle Jimmy tells me he has a fire, uh, a Bible story. That's right. Later in the show. And my Bible story will be a fire starter. Oh, perfect. Yeah. All right. So we got a Bible story to look forward to and Greg Couch. But before we do any of that, let me start this fire. Donald Trump is not Jim Jones. CNN's Brian Stelter and the rest of corporate media have far more in common with the disgraced cult leader than America's 45th president. Some of you will reject that assertion of fact because you've been programmed to hear any defense of Trump as an attack on you. Your Trump obsession blinds you from recognizing the harm of your corporate and social media obsessions. Yesterday, on Stelter's struggling television show, Reliable Sources, California Democratic Congresswoman Jackie Speer analogized Trump and Trump supporters to Jones and his cult members who died in 1978 at a mass suicide in Jonestown, Guyana. Let's take a listen to what Speer had to say about Trump and Jones. And you got to remember, Speer was shot in Guyana. She was a political aide of Leo Ryan, of Congressman, Congressman uh, Leo Ryan back then. And she was in Guyana trying to board a plane to escape and was shot five times and survived. Listen to her analogy of Trump and Jones. So you look at Donald Trump, charismatic leader, who was able to uh, continue to uh, talk in terms that appealed to those who are disaffected, disillusioned, um, and who were looking for something, much like those who became part of Jim Jones's congregation, the People's Temple. Um, they were lost souls. And the only difference between Jim Jones and Donald Trump is the fact that we now have social media. So all these people can mm. find themselves in ways that they couldn't find themselves before. So he basically was a merchant of deceit, both of them merchants of deceit, uh, both of them um, making people not look at facts, not think independently, and sowed a, a story for them that was indeed uh, destructive. This is not the first time Spear has analogized Trump to Jim Jones. As best I can tell, she started making the comparison shortly after the 2020 election. Back in December, she spelled out the Trump-Jones parallel in an interview with the Daily Beast. Spear, as I said earlier, was in Jonestown in 1978 as a political aide helping to investigate allegations of abuse. Her boss, Leo Ryan, was murdered just shortly before the mass suicide. But here's the problem for self, uh, Stelter and Spear. Jim Jones's rise to infamy began in Indianapolis, my hometown. Jim Jones is no mystery to me. He is not a mystery at all. The Jonestown massacre was major news in Naptown and in my household. 
In the 1950s and 60s, my grandmother, my mother, my auntie, all made several visits to Jones's church. Black religious leaders and black people found Jones's message irresistible. How could they not? He was as dynamic an orator as Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. Jones promoted racial unity and political activism and ruled the country. He aspired to be the white MLK. He proved to be a brilliant manipulator of scripture and people. Before moving to California in 1965, Jones mastered the art of packaging political Marxism with Christianity. By the time Jones and the People's Temple established their headquarters in San Francisco, Jones felt comfortable enough to fully unveil his true agenda, communism. He disavowed Christianity and the Bible. He argued the Bible was a weapon used to oppress black people and women. He preached that America was irredeemably racist and fascist. Any of this sound familiar? Any of this sound familiar? Jones became a major player in democratic politics. He helped George Moscone win election as San Francisco's mayor. Jones counseled Vice President Walter Mondale and First Lady Rosalind Carter. Jones befriended Kamala Harris's mentor and lover, Willie Brown, allegedly. California Governor Jerry Brown said Jones was Martin Luther King Jr., Albert Einstein, Angela Davis, and Chinese Communist Revolutionary Chairman Mao Zedong rolled into one. Jim Jones used the Black Lives Matter formula 50 years ago. When you refuse to learn from history, you repeat it. Black people, we're repeating history. The atheist, satanic clowns on CNN, MSNBC, at the New York Times, the Washington Post, and posting on Facebook, Instagram, and Black Twitter are feeding you Marxist Kool-Aid. Donald Trump is the sugary sweetener. He makes the Kool-Aid taste good on the way down. Donald Trump is there to fool you. Brian Stelter, Jackie Spears, Rachel Maddow, Don Lemon, and perhaps the minister at your church are telling you, drink this Trump hate. It will make you feel better. No, it disguises the real agenda, the promotion of Marxism and communism. Hating anyone or anything does not improve you. It kills you. Jim Jones taught his followers to hate America. That's how he opened their minds to loving socialism and communism. The message of hate resonates with African-Americans because of the discrimination we faced. It resonates with the LGBTQ community because of the discrimination they faced. It resonates with hardcore feminists because of the discrimination women have faced. But hate is not a solution. It's a delusion that leads to awful alliances, terrible decision-making, and a convoluted worldview. Jim Jones was a communist from day one. He attended Communist Party USA meetings long before he became an ordained minister. He pretended to be a Christian to attract a following. He moved to California 
to do what thou wilt. He's headquartered in San Francisco because the environment there was more tolerant of his sexual perversions. He fled for Guyana in 1977 because a journalist was going to expose his cult's abuses. The San Francisco Chronicle, AKA corporate media, wouldn't publish Marshall Kilduff's expose. He had to publish it in a monthly magazine. Jones left for his communist jungle paradise the day an editor at the magazine read him the allegations seeking comment from Jones. Jones was a white liberal prescribing utopian death for black people. In Guyana, he literally instructed his followers to use the Bible as toilet paper. 68% of the people who moved to Jonestown were black. His United States following was estimated to be 80% black. How many times are we gonna fall for the exact same banana in the tailpipe? Mm. Corporate backing of the Jim Jones slash Marxist playbook does not sanitize the wickedness. Neither does the, supp the support of LeBron James, Colin Kaepernick, Megan Rapinoe, Maxine Waters, Nancy Pelosi, Al Sharpton, and Stacey Abrams. Jackie Spear, the Jonestown victim, she's a typical political opportunist. She knows the Jonestown tragedy was a direct result of the kind of radical far-left politics promoted today by Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and embraced by the Democratic Party. The new People's Temple, the modern day People's Temple, is the BLM, LGBTQ+, DNC, Alphabet Mafia. It's a cult of atheist political activists who preach anti-American sentiment as a way of pushing Marxism. Your preacher, yes, your preacher, is likely a brainwashed member of this cult. If he's not a member, he's probably a sympathizer who fails to recognize the danger of his sympathy. Or he's just a bad minister who lacks the courage and resolve to stick to the gospel. The promise of man-made utopia and the demonization of America's failures are a shortcut for building a following. Social media apps are flooded with Jim Jones wannabes. They call themselves Sean King, Jamel Hill, Bishop Talbert Swan, D. Ray McKesson, Charlemagne the God, among other things. Donald Trump, he's a lot of things, some of them clearly bad, but he's not the second coming of Jim Jones. The people using religion and politics to bait black people and America into preferring communism and abandoning Christianity, they're not Trump supporters. They're Trump haters. Mm. <clears throat> Jimbo. Big bro. What you got? You know who else was a, in my opinion, who else was a charismatic leader? Oh. Bill Clinton. He played a saxophone, he led people. I know some people that are still in prison because of some laws Bill Clinton passed. I'm just, I'm just throwing that out there. You, you, you said he was a charismatic leader. I'm just throwing it out there. 
I think all politicians, successful ones, are charismatic leaders. Somebody could, again, the argument that the people on the left are making, Jackie Spear, oh, Trump's a charismatic leader. and he's I'm just trying to say. Dave. He's got people that, that follow him. And, and, and the, the, listen, this is not some huge dramatic defense of Trump because ide- idolatry is idolatry. And putting human beings on some sort of pedestal, godlike pedestal that's reserved for one person and one person only, and his name is Jesus, it's all a mistake. But to go from that to trying to in any way say, like, whatever Trump's issues are, whatever his followers' issues are, it's not analogous to Jim Jones. It's analogous to a certain group, but it ain't that group. Certainly isn't that group. It's not. It's just not that group. Now they do some things that you can criticize and blah. But comparing them to Jim Jones is a joke and a distraction, and it's trying to keep us from looking. There is a group of people that have been using the Jim Jones playbook, and they're called the Democratic Party. They're called the LGBT movement. They're called Black Lives Matter. They're called Bernie Sanders. They're called uh, uh, corporate media at this point. Wasn't Bill Clinton a Democrat? Democrat? I'm I'm just letting you know. I'm trying to let you know. You see what I'm doing right there? Yeah, we on the same page. We on the same page. But they have a certain prey. Mm. There's, There's a certain... I'll tell you what the prey is. Group of people they love that that fall for this bait every time. We you know what that people are? Those are that's us. Those are people that have a void. Those are people that have a you 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 got something in here that you need because you don't have it. We used to have it. We used to have something inside, and I think I got it from my grandmother. I think she said it was called the Holy Spirit. You know, you got to have something inside here because people need to be filled. They, they got a void to be filled. Uh, Jim, uh, uh, I'm not going to. I'm not going to distance myself from the group of people that are getting fooled by this. Mm-hmm. And, and I think you could potentially be making a mistake distancing yourself. We're all in. the. This is a black people problem. I don't know any black people who aren't susceptible to falling for this bogus BS because take your grandmother who are Jim Jones started out in 19, I think in 1950, 51 in Indianapolis. And by the time he started out going to communist party meetings. And and if you go look through for all for Marcus Garvey the uh, whoever started the NAACP, the W.E.B. Du Bois, to Martin Luther King. We keep falling for the Marxist communist bait. Okay. We keep allowing a group of communist white people and liberals and their sympathizers to fool us. Oh, there's this utopian world that we, a, a, you're going to have to abandon God, but we're going to build you this utopian world. We've been falling for this since we were emancipated. There's a long history of black people and our alliances with the Communist Party and and communist sympathizers 
It's the trick that's been played on us time and time and time again. It blew up in our face in a massive way with Jim Jones. But all of us have been susceptible to this messaging of, oh, man, America's terrible. America's terrible. America's terrible. Communism is the solution. And we the solution for us has always been the freedoms prescribed in the Declaration of Independence and in the U.S. Constitution. And those freedoms were based on the Bible. And so the Bible and whether whether or not Thomas Jefferson or Abraham Lincoln or George Washington were racist, that's just a sin. That's the same as calling them an adulterer. It's the I'm sorry and I don't care if you don't like it. But if you think God's got some little book, well, well, there's this sin and there's that sin and and this sin, blah, blah. No, there's just sin. And so these were flawed people, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, all of them, the found. But damn it, if they didn't come up with a Declaration of Independence and a U.S. Constitution that eliminated or combated the sin of racism. It took some work and effort. But those two documents and those beliefs that this country were founded on laid a blueprint for fighting and combating uh, discrimination and eventually ended slavery. And we need to wake our asses up and say, and particularly those of us here, we need to wake our asses up and realize the Bible and the Constitution can work hand in hand in creating the freedom, liberty, and opportunity you want right here in America better than any place on the planet. Communism, which is hostile and totally against religion. That's why Jim Jones and all these people walked away from religion. Jim Jones had people over in Guyana wiping their asses with the Bible. Jim Jones was an atheist and a communist from day one. He dressed himself up as a Christian leader. We fell for the BS and we've been, we continue to fall for it right now to the point now, mo- black people right now, I mean, they prefer politics over religion. They prefer Barack Obama over Jesus. And I know they said, oh, that's, that's an exaggeration. Yes, you do. That's who you talk about de- every day. You talk about Obama and Trump every day of your life, and you think all your solutions can be found in some politician, and particularly some white or liberal or or black uh, communist politician, Stacey Abrams is going to save you. Mm. Uh, Nancy Pelosi, Maxine Waters, all these politicians, and all these far left people that have been feeding you death, not telling you the only solution... Bible, Constitution, and standing on your own two feet. You rely on this government. This government is an abusive partner. Mm. The government will not provide for you in a way that you can provide for yourself. It just won't happen. And the government is going to unhook you from God and have you standing out here like an idiot in the jungles of Guyana swallowing Kool-Aid over a man that's sexually abusing you and your kids, Jim Jones. It, it, we have learned nothing from history. 
And we just keep repeating and repeating it, and they just put a new name on it. It was called the People's Temple of China, uh, uh, the People's Temple Church or whatever. Now it's called Black Lives Matter. Mm. Now it's called the LGBTQ. Now it's called uh, feminism. Now it's called the Democratic Party. Watch out now. And, and you'll say, oh, Whitlock's just cap caping up for the Republicans and blah, blah. No, I'm telling you the truth. I don't. Mm. There's a reason I don't get involved in politics because it's all corrupt. But uh, this allegiance, this this uh, obsession, this belief, blind faith, blind faith that the Democratic Party is going to save you, the same <laughs> that keeps prescribing you death, Kool Aid of government dependence. They gave you a black vice president. Come on, Jason. What they've given us, and I'm just sorry, I'm not trying to be offensive. Everybody knows me, knows I'd have a no problem with interracial dating. But they ain't gave us a thoroughbred yet. Barack Obama is half white and was raised by white people. And Kamala Harris ain't got a damn thing to do with black people. And everybody knows it. And I'm sorry if that hurts your feelings because she, in the summer, she looks kind of tan. She wears and, Chuck Taylors. And, and I, I'm sorry if just Barack Obama, I know he married Michelle Obama, but that don't make him a damn thoroughbred. He smoked weed. That don't make him a thoroughbred either. He was raised by his white grandparents. And so, and again, I'm not demonizing him. They're great. Hats off to him. Hats off to the white people that adopted Colin Kaepernick. You're awesome. But those of you that keep falling for this okie doke and this little fake black packaging, uh, I'm pissed at y'all. Because Barack Obama is not, he grew up in Hawaii. I mean, they almost had, made me drop the N-word. <laughs> <laughs> almost. I just, but how many of y'all know he... The word is enigma. <laughs> there you go. How many ninjas do you know from Hawaii? Real ones. Jimmy Superfly Snooker. We need to cut it out. I mean, I'm not, we, we got to cut it. How, how many, I'm just, how many times, it's the same banana in the same tailpipe. Oh, don't it feel good? Yeah. I mean, that, that is literally what we do. We've seen, and this white woman, Jackie Spear, to get on TV and compare Donald Trump to Jim Jones, when she is Jim Jones far more than this man. And I'm not caping up for Donald Trump. But damn it, don't tell these lies and, and black people quit going for this shit. Mm. Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Can I ask you a question? And th this is right here, and, and this goes right to where you at. How did we, as black men, allow this to happen? This whole, where, where were we at? How did we allow this white man to come in, lead our people, take 60% uh, of us? I'm going to def defend men and women. Okay. On this front, because I, I was born in 1967. It's easy for me to say this. If I, if I was born in 1947 and had saw Malcolm X assassinated, John Kennedy assassinated, Robert Kennedy assassinated, Martin Luther King assassinated, I might be a coward too. And I'm talking about black men and women. I'm not, I, I don't, I, I don't want to, I, I got to give us 
that excuse. I got to give everybody in America that excuse. They saw people with balls cut down on live TV. And that will shake you up. It ain't no different than it ain't no different than living in a hood and the Crips and the Bloods dropping bodies all over your neighborhood. You'd be scared of the Crips and the Bloods, too. And so America went through a period where they cut down people that actually had some leadership and balls and it made cowards of all of us. But this is not a time where we can afford to be cowards. It, it, it just can't happen. They're about to hijack this entire country, all the freedoms that we take for granted. They are unhooking us, and we don't even know it. Your minister is preaching a Jim Jones-type religion, and we're sucking it up. Everything he's talking about, not biblically sound, laced with politics, laced with politics, and we're sucking it up. Laced with democratic politics, laced with the legalization of every sin possible. We're sitting there as black people. Planned Parenthood is slaughtering black kids all across the country. Black Lives Matter don't talk about that. But Planned Parenthood is doing more work than the Crips and the Bloods and everybody. Now that's where you need to be ha having a, 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 a protest and a march is outside the Planned Parenthood. Yeah, but, but we ain't but, gonna talk about that. But it, what party supports this and we're we calling ourselves Christians and we're with the party of Planned Parenthood? Mm. Tap out. Mm. Don't be down. If you can't deal with, tap out. Don't deal with none of them. That's the choice I've made. But this little religious-like obsession we have with Democrats and to allow this white woman to get on TV with 70% with of the bodies dead in Guyana were black. And this white woman gets on TV, and I know she was shot, and she's a victim too, but get on TV 30, 40, 50 years later and blame it on Trump supporters. There no damn Trump supporters over there. That was a bunch of leftists who turned communists who were all in bed with Willie Brown, Jerry Brown, and every other Democrat in California and across the country. And she, they were all down with that left-wing bullshit. And you're going to get on TV and blame Trump and Trump supporters. And we're going to go for it. Because anything, anything that's anti-Trump is good for us. Are you kidding me? Who is that simple-minded and stupid? Man, look, I'm going to tell you something, if I may. I yes. want you to catch your breath. And I, by the way, let me just say this. I know you think you done done some good ones. This might be your best one. I'm just telling you, from my standpoint, this may be your best one, just for me. I'm going to tell you why this is, Jim. And if, you know, my mother was right here, she could tell you. My mother and aunt. I was home two weeks ago uh, in Indianapolis playing cards with my mama and my aunt. And uh, my aunt, a woman Ann, one of my father's best friends. Uh, and I told them two weeks ago, you know, I've been uh, restudying up on Jim Jones because I'm about to write about him. I told him this two weeks ago. I didn't know nothing about this Jackie Spears going on CNN and talking this crap. Mm -hmm. But I've been sitting on this for a couple of weeks. I've been researching and just me, my mama and ain't we, we ain't Dorothy. We sat there and talked about Mama Lovey, my grandmother, they mama, 
uh, taking them to the People's Temple in Indianapolis in the 50s and 60s and being all called up. Just had this conversation. So clearly, and I apologize for the cussing. I really do. I'm trying. I'm doing my best, but I get worked up. But clearly, God has put this on my mind, this topic. And here comes Jackie Spears to, to give me a reason to go at it, to try to explain to these folks, <laughs> we're being played. It's, this, it's all in the history books. You don't have to be a genius to figure this out. You just got to wake up. You can read for yourself. I, I, I want to bring Delano into this conversation. We're going to roll out to D.C. Uh, but before we do, it's that time of the day, Jim. Built bar time. <laughs> I brought my own this time. <laughs> I think I'm getting down to my last few salted caramel bars. But I've been told that some new ones will be sent here to the studio soon. I hope this isn't my last one. It's getting uh, low, bro. It's getting low, I'm going to tell you. Low in calories, low in sugars and carbs. These protein bars shouldn't be this good, but they're great. These are some of the best protein bars I've personally tasted and helped keep me going during the day. Built Bars is also the new official partner with the U.S. Olympic track and field team for this year's Summer Olympic Games in Tokyo. They're going on right now. Go to Built.com and use promo code FEARLESS to save 15% off your first order. Use promo code FEARLESS for 15% off at Built.com. All right, welcome back. <clears throat> All right, let's roll out to uh, Washington, D.C., Jim, and let's hope that uh, Delano can calm me down D. and bring a, uh, a more... A, a, a sense of calm, if you would, please, <laughs> Delano. If you could just bring some, some reasoning to the young brother here. Well, I, I, reason, Delano, I think you read my column. Uh, I'm so tired of the left getting away with using Trump as a bright, shiny object to distract us from what's really going on. And I think the Jim Jones analogy that Jackie Spears made, uh, great opportunity just to point out, no, 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 no. Actually, these things you're attributing to Trump are actually the things that Black Lives Matter, Democratic politicians, corporate media do. Am I wrong here? Not at all. I mean, this is a classic um, bait and switch. The left is really good about language and rhetoric. Um, that's why they look to inflame these conversations as much as possible. They talk about, you know, they compare people they don't like to Hitler. Um, they compare, uh, you know, holding cells for, for uh, migrants to concentration camps. Um, they compare uh, policies they don't like to, to, to lynching. I mean, it's, it's, this is part of their playbook to always inflame the conversation in a way that uh, sort of distracts and clouds the issue rather than clarifies it. So I wasn't surprised to see this. I mean, at the end of the day, for all the talk about um, President Trump and you know what he meant for the country and, and his supporters, um, probably the, some of the people who hated to see him go the most were Democrats and certainly left-leaning uh, media companies because they, they ate off of his personality. Um, and without him, 
they really don't oftentimes seem to have much of a reason to exist. So I'm not particularly surprised by this. This is straight from the Democratic playbook in terms of um, inflaming our conversations and, and, you know, hyping up the rhetoric in order to get a visceral response from from uh, our citizens. You make a great point because Brian Stelter's CNN show, Reliable Sources, is just plummeting in the ratings and losing traction and relevance. Jackie Speer made these allegations about Trump, I could see, back in December. The Daily Beast uh, wrote about it back in December when she first made these analogies. And then, so here's Brian Stelter in uh, late July, early August, like, whoo, I need a smoker for my show. Oh, let's get Jackie Spear on here and tee her up to make these allegations against Trump. This is just the media trolling Americans for TV ratings. Am I correct? Yeah, I, I think the, the dynamic is somewhat similar. Um, and I'm going back a little bit in time here to um, what Comedy Central had during the, the Bush presidency. I really think that uh, President Bush helped make um, The Daily Show and, and Jon Stewart really into a, you know, a, a household brand because, you know, the president was endless source of gaffes and misstatements. And The Daily Show really, you know, as I said, they, they ate well off of him. And, and it's easy for the left to, you know, uh, criticize conservatives. So it was the best of both worlds. I think um, President Trump, again, serves a, a similar type of position. The difference with The Daily Show is that it was actually funny. Um, Brian Stelter holds himself out to be a serious journalist, but even some of his guests don't um, don't believe that, and you know they show their contempt and disdain for him by by telling him to his face that he's part of the problem. So I'm not surprised by this. They they know um, that when when Trump was in office, people were tuning in not because they were for CNN or for Brian Stelter but because they were rooting against Trump. Um, it's, a, it's a similar dynamic with, with sports where certain teams uh, are, are popular, right? Whether it's Duke or the Dallas Cowboys or um, the LA Lakers, but sometimes people will hate watch. And you know, at the end of the day, whether you hate watch or love watch, the people who run the networks just want you to watch. But I think as, as Trump fades into memory, um, some of these media companies are looking for something and some reason for, for people to watch. Delano, I talk about it in my column that there's a long history of communist influences baiting black people, African-Americans, into embracing socialism and communism. This history goes way back, early 1900s, maybe even late 1800s. There, there's been this pattern of, and it extends all the way to allegations and a lot of truth to the fact Martin Luther King influenced uh, by communist elements. Why, why are we so susceptible to communist influence? Why, why are we the group that seems to be targeted by them to become their allies? That, that's a great question. And one thing I'll say is that I, I, I learned a lot from, from your column this morning. I didn't even know some of the, the, the Marxist roots of Jim Jones and his movement. And I also didn't know that, that uh, black folk constituted a large part of his following. Um, but, to your, to, but to your question, 
I think the simplest way to, to explain it is when you are from a group that has felt oppressed and felt like you are not getting a fair shot um, and not being able to you know, take advantage of um, the benefits that are in a particular country, someone else that is promoting an ideology that says this will make this this particular way of doing economics or government will ensure that everyone in your community will have what they need. And I can understand why someone, again, going back as far as, you know, someone like Paul Robeson or Du Bois or Dr. King would would be open to that type of um, political and economic uh, framework at the times in which they live. If they traveled the South and they saw that, you know, there were black folk who didn't have even their basic needs met, I can understand why a system, um, flawed as it, as it is, and obviously imperfect, and every time it's been tried, it's failed, but I can understand why socialism or communism would appeal to people like that if what they're seeing with their own two eyes is people who don't have enough to meet their basic needs. Um, that becomes a, a lot less understandable in 2021 when even Marxists, self-avowed Marxists, and I'm thinking of the, the co-founders of BLM, um, on one hand, they rail against capitalism, and on the other hand, they rake in real estate properties, they're doing deals with um, media companies, they're um, you know, being paid for appearances, they're being held up by tech titans and big corporations. So ultimately, what you see is a dynamic in which um, even Marxists understand how powerful capitalism is because they found a market, they found people who were uh, in many respects gullible and um, easily influenced uh, and, and they were able to e exploit that um, for their own you know, economic gain. So again, it, it makes, it, you can make a, a stronger argument for it or you can understand it a little bit more in 1921, but, but in 2021, it's all about um, seeing the world through the lens of oppressed, oppressed and oppressor groups. And what BLM has done, and some of the people who advocate Marxism today, they have moved that from a class frame where it's the, uh, the, the bourgeoisie against the proletarian, right? The, the ruling class against the working class, and now they've moved that into areas of race, sex, um, sexuality, and gender identity. Um, and, and that's the only way they really know how to, to function in the world is to pit those two classes together. Delano, you use the words gullible and easily influenced. I'm gonna use a harsher word. I, I think we've been identified, we and I include all, as hey, there's a group of useful idiots, and I think Jim Jones, sitting there in Indianapolis in the early 1950s, were like, I got this communist message I want to get out. How can I get it? I'm on packaging Christianity, and I'm going to target black people. He believes they're so unsophisticated, they're going to fall for this. And we have. And I look at us again, we're falling for it right now with through Black Lives Matters and it's just all repackaging, rebranded. I, 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 one, am I wrong for, for at, suggesting we're useful idiots? And then two, and more importantly, I also argue in the column that I believe many of our current ministers, black and white, are leaning into this Marxism, communism, social activist, 
uh, BS right now, and and I'm just wondering why. When is it ever going to stop? Are, are people in the congregation are they all asleep at the wheel? They're all playing. A lot of ministers are playing from this Jim Jones playbook. Maybe they're not going to build a, a, a communist paradise in Guyana, but they're teaching from the same playbook. Yeah, I, and I, I, I want to make a distinction between two different groups. One, I think, is a much larger group, and that's the people who um, they look around the society, they feel that there's still inequities, and they look to anyone who says that you know, they're working to resolve some of those inequities. So um, a lot of people, black and white, were sympathetic to BLM when they came out, right? And those people, for the most part, they just, they live their lives, they may be active on social media, um, but they're, they're primarily concerned about their daily lives and the things that um, they, they have to deal with, you know, on, on a regular basis, sending their kids to school, paying bills, that type of thing. Now, the other group, which is a much smaller group, but it's an influential group, um, these include ministers, pastors, members of the media, athletes, entertainers, um, people who head uh, organizations and institutions that, that real influence in the country, and particularly in this respect within black America. Um, I do think that the members of, those, of that particular group are useful idiots. And when, when, when you and I are using that language, this harkens back to I'm thinking of a, a Russian defector named uh, Yuri Bezmenov, who talked about, he was a KGB uh, officer, who talked about, um, at that time, Russia's desire to infiltrate certain institutions uh, w within the United States. And he actually, he, he, he said they wanted to find conservative institutions, because he said that the, the media was liberal anyway, and these are people who, they'll follow any new fashionable idea, but soon, you know, once, once uh, Marxism is in place, they'll sort of be pushed to the side and, and deemed irrelevant, uh, which I actually, parenthetically, I think you saw that with BLM. Um, the, both the president and vice president were talking about Black Lives Matter prior to the election, and as soon as they got into office, BLM wasn't getting any, any, any of its calls answered, and now I don't think they ever got the meeting that they demanded um, prior to November 3rd. But... To your point, I think some of these pastors, and even from some, you know, um, conservative evangelical or conservative theological traditions, um, really fell for the the BLM uh, line and have really fallen into um, thinking about the world in a, in a Marxist sort of framework. And and as I said, I, I do think that they are being used as tools. Some probably knowingly. Right. You, you mentioned uh, Bishop Talbert Swan. Um, I, I have no idea. I think he's he's clearly someone who, who believes in Marxism. But there are others who are doing it. They think they're doing it out of the goodness of their own heart because they want to see equality. Um, but what they don't realize, and particularly in this sense, as it relates to BLM, they think that they are endorsing BLM for the sake of racial justice. But what they're doing is inviting in a Trojan horse where... Um, on the outside is painted racial justice, but on the inside is all of the, you know, teachings or beliefs around sex, sexuality, and gender identity that go directly against what the church is teaching. And one of the results of that is you see that some some of these um, evangelical leaders, um, I mentioned, you know, a couple of them in my article the other day, 
they're so tied up on trying to adjudicate racial disputes of the past that you notice that they're completely silent on the issues of the present. So they can tell you about how the white evangelical church dealt with the Civil Rights Act of 1964, but they're completely silent on the Equality Act of 2021 because they think that the biggest issue in America today is, is how white people feel about black people. And that's why they're compromised in many ways and not able to speak with force and with theological clarity on issues around you know, sex, sexuality, and gender. Yeah, there's, the church has been co-opted. It's a political organization. It's just, it's very frustrating to me. You wrote a piece today that I thought somewhat dovetailed with uh, my own piece about Black Lives Matters and a realization you had on a weekend family trip and how Black Lives Matter wants to divine, define a village helping raise your child as opposed to what you actually experienced and are modeling now as a parent. Describe, explain your column today. Sure. So um, I went back home to, to New York a couple, couple weeks ago um, for a, a friend's birthday party. And, you know, at one point, you know, my friends and I, we were just sitting in the backyard, we were talking. You know, our wives and our kids were, were there. The kids were running around, talking to our parents. And it really was, it crystallized what our, our families have been talking about for the better part of the last 25 years, which is a desire to have a, a village. Um, and that village, for me personally, constituted both my, my um, relatives, you know, my blood family, as uh, in addition to my church family. So people who I've known, you know, since I was young, who helped instill values in me. Um, you know, th these were largely married couples. Some, most had children, some did not. But even the ones who, who did not have children and the ones who were not married um, poured into the kids. So we couldn't get away with certain things at certain people's houses um, because it was the same set of rules regardless of whose house you went to. So for, for me, again, what I grew up with is, you know, my dad in the home, married to my mom. They actually celebrated 40 years of marriage yesterday. Um, and my friends, my three best friends who, are, who I talk about in, in the piece, who were affectionately known as the Four Horsemen, we all had you know, similar home lives and we saw our dads go out to work every day. They, they did construction and demolition work on, on, you know, during the evenings and on weekends, oftentimes for the church. They planted gardens. They, everything in their lives was about building, cultivating, and, and sustaining. Um, what you get from BLM is the language of destroying and dismantling, and specifically um, dismantling the, the nuclear family, um, because they understand what Marx understood, and this is the reason that Marx wanted to abolish the family, is that the family is the primary vehicle for um, inculcating values in children. It's also the primary vehicle for passing down you know, private property, and both Marx and you know, the Marxists today are all about abolishing capitalism. Again, unless it's their real estate portfolio that's increasing. But what what the, the biggest contrast is, again, for BLM, their villages are without men and nuclear families. But the village that I grew up in, um, it was full of, of men with strength and, and, and dignity and, you know, who, who looked out for 
you know, the kids and looked out for other people's families and, you know, protected our, our, our moms and, and, you know, our sisters. And it, it really was, the, the trip was an opportunity to really see um, that entire uh, framework sort of come together. And now with a new generation of kids, our parents are retiring and moving into, you know, being full-time grandparents. And we can see how, how much joy that brings them. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, you know, sometimes, you know, my friends and I talk about is that, yes, there's a history of protests in America, but I've never seen someone who ra- identifies as a radical anything, a radical social justice advocate or radical feminist who seems to be at peace, content or full of joy. Um, and, and I think there's a big difference when you, know, you have you know, something to, to hold on to and, and particularly Again, with my upbringing, you know, the, the church in many respects was sort of the center of, of that village and, and uh, God was the center of that village. And I think we, I'm seeing, and I got a chance to see um, the, the, the impact that that type of life had on everyone who was involved. So um, that, that's why I wrote the article, to draw a, a clear line. And towards the end, and this, as you said, this dovetails with what you were saying, I made a reference to uh, corporate media, and particularly, uh, I call them, you know, sycophants, right? These are people who, they just slobbered all over BLM. They didn't ask them any tough questions because if if you run an organization that says, that you say is for the black community, but you say you're against nuclear families in a community where 70% of children are born to unwed parents, the first question I would ask you if you came on my show, whether it's Brian Stelter, Don Lemon or Roland Martin, is why is your organization focused on dismantling families as opposed to helping them grow and be stronger and come back together? Delano, great work as always. Always. Fantastic job. Thank you so much. We'll see you later in the week. Guess what happened to me, Jim, over the weekend? You're not going to believe it. Someone drove past and stole your Slurpee while you're in the drive-thru? No, 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 no. That's not what happened. Uh, you got that phone call, that guess what phone call, you the baby daddy? <laughs> no, that's not what happened, Jim. Jim, I got hungry. I know you're not going to no. believe that. <laughs> Woo, you went out on a limb on that one, didn't yeah, you, big yeah, guy? I really did. And I went home to Indianapolis to hang out with my boys from Ball State. Right, right. Uh, and we had a little cookout. Okay. And uh, I made some chicken, okay. some good ranchers chicken. Okay. Uh, we it's had some hard steak. To do. They're, they're, uh, individual, they're individually yeah. wrapped, bro. That's yeah. not hard to do. I know. Anyway, I took my boys some good old American crafted meat from good ranchers, the best beef, the best organic chicken, the best T-bones, fillet strips, gourmet burgers, and more. Antibiotic free. Yeah. And we had the time of our lives telling lies, exaggerating our past, uh, cracking jokes on each other. Talking about how great Ball State was. <laughs> now, that's not a lie. Ball State is the greatest thing in the world, other than perhaps good old meat from good ranchers. Uh, be a hero to your family sure, needs. If you subscribe, you will get $20 off and free Express shipping. Get with Good Ranchers today and support American farmers. 
Go to GoodRanchers.com slash fearless to get $20 off and free express shipping. That's GoodRanchers.com slash fearless. Welcome back. All right, Uncle Jimmy, time to roll out to Chicago and bring in our guy, Greg Couch. Greg has written an interesting column about Kevin Durant and the United States Olympic basketball team. And Greg is arguing that Kevin Durant's legacy can be fixed with a gold medal here in Tokyo, uh, Japan, that if taking this Olympic team to a gold medal uh, would kind of fix his image problems, that Kevin's been shopping for a legacy, and he finally has a chance to buy one with these Olympics, and maybe it could get him over his LeBron James obsession. Uh, Greg, I've kind of rambled on, but tell me what you thought, or what, what, what was the point you're trying to get across in your column? What's at stake here for Kevin Durant as they prepare to play Spain, I believe, on Tuesday? Right. I think what's at stake is that he's I feel he's always wanted to have the love that LeBron gets, even though he says it doesn't matter to him. And, you know, so far, these Olympics have been sort of hijacked by Simone Biles. But now I think this is Durant's big chance. He's got to take over this team that I don't think anyone really believes in. And if he can win the gold. Yeah, I think he'll he'll finally get some of that credit. You know, the guy's never alone. He's been chasing super teams. He's been on Olympic teams with LeBron. You know, and, and it's just sort of this tough battle to figure out or sort of balancing act, rather, to figure out whether you're supposed to take a team by yourself or whether you're, you're supposed to be in a group as a team. And, you know, we're watching these other countries play and they play as a team. And in America, basketball now seems to be just a matter of gathering stars, whoever has the most superstars. So I think this is a, a, a tough battle for Durant to figure out what he's supposed to actually do. It's been that way in the NBA where he goes from one super team to another super team and he chases a legacy and it's just not there for him because no one ever sees it as his team. This time it's his team. I don't really think there's any doubt about it. And so, uh, you know, you have to decide whether he's going to, he has to decide whether he's going to take over or not and how much he's going to do it himself. So, um, yeah. So Jason, I think this is a huge moment for him. I think one of the big problems though is He's doing it in an Olympics that no one in America is really watching or cares about. You know, I think they've been averaging around 15, 16 million people watching when they used to average 30, 40 million. It's I'm wondering if there's enough interest in this Olympics to really help rehabilitate is the wrong word, help cement a legacy for Kevin Durant. I, I think you shouldn't be fooled by any lack of, of, of viewership early in the tournament like this. I, I, you know, I think people have a feeling they don't really care for this team that much because they lost to Nigeria, they lost to Australia in warm-ups. I think while the team is theoretically warming up, the fans will start warming up too. If this, if this team starts building and gets to the semifinals and gets to the gold medal game, I, I do think people will be paying attention. And I think, you know, Durant can have something that LeBron's never had. He can have three gold medals, whereas Le- LeBron only has two. So, you know, I think Durant made a big mistake a few years ago when he when he when they beat Cleveland and 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 he talks about, well, LeBron just passed the torch to me. You know, you don't really say that if it's true. It has to sort of other people have to say it. You don't say that about yourself. And I think he sort of set himself up as always being compared to LeBron and just not being as good, just being in the back seat. He actually might be as good at this point, but I just think he's going to have to do something by himself where it looks like it's 
a job that he has done and not a job that other people around him that Steph Curry's done or, or Harden will do or, or or whatever. I mean, he had that chance this year in the playoffs against the Bucks, and they got to game seven and he just took all the shots and wore himself out and, and, and he didn't come through. So I think this is another great chance for him. He's 32 years old. He's got a chance. He's got a few years here to cement this legacy. But I think this is about as good a chance as he's going to get. Jim, are you watching the Olympics? I got to be. I'm not. And I'm actually, I hate to admit it, but these guys in their anti-American sentiment, when I do watch, hell, I'm rooting for the other team. I, I don't want to see them win. Uh, Olympics? Olympics? Are we talking about the Olympics? <laughs> Alan, Alan Iverson, yeah, this practice. <laughs> we talking about the Olympics. <laughs> I, I kind of think that's where we're at. The other thing I, I kinda, that kind of stopped me in my tracks when I was reading your column, Greg, was you said that Kevin Durant isn't interested in being the GOAT, and then you said, but his actions scream something else entirely an obsession with LeBron James. LeBron James ain't the GOAT. So even if he is obsessed with being LeBron James, it's like he's, he's obsessed with being like number six on the all-time greatest players list. I'm not even trying to disrespect LeBron James uh, because I don't think Kevin Durant will ever be on the same level as LeBron James. And I like and prefer Kevin Durant, but I just, I, he ain't on the same level as LeBron James. And he certainly won't be in any kind of GOAT debate. Excuse me, Jess. Well, yeah. Is this Greg's column? Uh, yeah, it's Greg. Is this Greg? Did, did he write this column? Yeah. So how the hell are you going to tell him who's the GOAT in Greg's column? I'm just, <laughs> a lot of, that's a lot of damn nerve. <laughs> Greg, you man, get him, man. Get him. He, well, first I mean, of all, let me just tell you this, Greg. Now, I'm going to tell you this. Greg, let me tell you this, because Jason said this while we was getting ready. Jason is beginning to have a little problem with you because even though you are a white man, you have a better natural than Jason. <laughs> and he, he's natural's really, a hairstyle, by the way. I hope. And he know what it is. How do you, he don't know. That's something we say. Hey, man, he's hating on you, Greg. That's why he's doing you like this. Go ahead and tell him about how you feel about LeBron. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I mean, I understand the jealousy about my hair. I think a lot of people feel that way. <laughs> But look, LeBron's not the greatest of all time. We know Michael Jordan is, but he's in the discussion. And so Durant wants to be in that discussion, but he's just always some guy in the back seat. He never gets into the discussion. So, I mean, I, you know, I sort of agree with you. It's not like, like Durant. Durant don't have no driver's license. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry, Greg. I'm just going to, I'll say this. If Kevin Durant's in the discussion, they driving a bus. That's not a car. That's not a car. That, that ain't no car I know. Because by the time you put Michael, Kareem, Magic, Larry, uh, Dr. J. hell, Bill. Kobe, Bill Russell, you know, yeah, he got to get over Dr. Robert J. Dory. <laughs> he got to get over Dr. J before he can start putting LeBron in the car. That's an awful big car, man. I mean, hell. I don't know what kind of car you driving out there in Chicago, but you got to get about 20 people in it before you can get Durant. You know, where's Tim Duncan going to sit? What? Wow. <laughs> Where David Robinson going to sit? <laughs> I mean, wow. Shaq? Hell, <laughs> you know, hell, D-Wade? Damn. <laughs> Damn. Larry Bird. Did you put Larry Bird in? I did put Larry Bird in there, yeah. He, he got you, Larry. Yeah, I, I, put, I put Larry Bird in there. But I, I, I do think... Durant can enhance 
his legacy here in the Olympics and that perhaps as we talk about the transition away from LeBron, I, I do think he could enhance his argument with Giannis Antetokounmpo. There is an argument about whose league is it right now, Giannis or Durant, and perhaps by leading America, you know, they got to get... They got to get by Spain, I think, just to qualify for the gold medal game, if, if my understanding is correct. If he can win, two games. win a gold medal, maybe that helps. Yeah, they got, maybe that helps him with his argument against Giannis. Okay, I mean, that's fine. Maybe he's just after being the greatest of this time even. But I think he just wants to be in the discussion, and, and I think it does matter to him. When he talked about LeBron passing the torch, when Scottie Pippen said, well, he's no LeBron, and then Durant got all upset about it. We know Durant's kind of a insane when it comes to his social media, you know, a sort of, uh, you know, habit. <laughs> and he got all worked up about it. I mean, it, this clearly bothers him that, that LeBron is, is seen so far ahead of him. I mean, I agree with you that LeBron is ahead of him, but I mean, you know, Durant's 32 years old. How much more, how many more championships is LeBron gonna win? Let's say Durant wins two or three championships here, passes him and wins another, Olympic gold. I mean, he could get in that discussion, I think. Uh, no, he can't because <laughs> just as you've clearly stated, he needs superstars with him. Kyrie Irving, uh, James Harden now in Brooklyn. Uh, he jumped over to Golden State. Look, I'm not even trying to beat up on Kevin Durant. I like Kevin Durant, but all-time, all-time great. He ain't even carried one of his own teams. And, and this little Olympic thing backed into a corner. He's still got Damian Lillard and, you know, a bunch of other players out there with him. I, I just, I, I don't, you know, and I like Kevin Durant. He had an opportunity. He started fooling around with Russell Westbrook. He got stuck with Westbrook early in his career, and that kind of jacked things up for him. I, I, through no fault of his own, I can remember the first time I ever saw Kevin Durant. Allen Fieldhouse. Uh, playing the University of Kansas, and I was like, he's a freshman at Texas, and I was like, oh my God, this this dude is incredible, and he's going to be the next big thing. And and I, I really believe, had he not been paired with Russell Westbrook at the start of his NBA career, things would have gone better for him, and he would have a chance. But now he's hopped from team to team and superstar to superstar. You know, he, he's like... <clears throat> he, he, to be honest with you, he's like a, a stripper who's tried to, I knew it. Uh, you know, adjust to a different lifestyle. He's be a stripper or fillet of cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just telling you, it's like so you can't get some of the stench off of you. Yeah, you can. It's called soap and water. <laughs> Jesus, can I just say, Greg, yeah. I agree with you a thousand and fifty-two percent. My question is that I asked you, Jason. When has, where, okay, you said, uh, where would Durant be if he didn't have, where in the hell would LeBron be if he didn't have Dwayne Wade? What, well, Jimmy, and that's why I put LeBron. So, so you got to admit, Greg's right. This is a good analogy. I put LeBron in that second group of, he, he's not in my top five, honestly. And, 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 and I say that at one point I had him in my top five, Looking at the totality of his career and the moves he's made, he's outside my top five. Uh, you know, that little bubble championship. I'm just sorry. I'm I don't not think giving... Greg has him in his top five. Do you, Greg? LeBron? You're asking if yeah. I have LeBron in my top five? 
Yes. You're kind of cut. Okay. No, I don't. I've got uh, Jordan, Wilt, Kareem, Bird, Magic, and Russell. And then I would probably go LeBron right after that, number seven. And so here's what I would say to that. And we, we got to go, Greg, because our, our connection is cutting out a little bit. But yeah, he just put Wilt at number two. So his whole list is jacked up because Wilt Chamberlain is nothing but a seven-foot LeBron James. That's, they're both uh, you know me tell you blessed with incredible talent who, who never who had quirks in their personality that undermined their ability to win championships and compete at the highest, highest, highest level all the time. I got one number for LeBron James. What's up? 20,000. <laughs> uh, uh, Corey don't even know what that means, man. He, he's too, oh, he does know? Oh, I'm sorry. Corey knows what that means, man. 20,000. Yeah. LeBron Wick. <laughs> now that's a man. <laughs> Oh, man. All right, stick around. We're going to come back with our approval rating for Brian Stelter of CNN. We'll see what Uncle Jimmy knows about politics. Welcome back. I think Uncle Jimmy has a Bible story. You don't, this will not be another Houdini. That's not the Houdini hat. No, that's not the, this will not be a version of the song, I'm a Ho. You're not going to do that for a Bible. That's what you did. Don't get ashamed of it. I got to admit, I I laughed. I didn't know how to feel about it, but people all over the internet loved it. Because they share that they under they they get Uncle Jimmy. They're hypocrites like you. Is that is that what you're saying? That they sometimes they backslide like you backslide. Is that what it is? They were expecting. A I Bible know the Doberman Pinscher ain't sitting up here calling the Great Dame a dog. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. <laughs> Come I on, promise man. a Bible story. You turn a Houdini song and. You and all the viewers oh, on, love it. Okay, since we're going to go there, can we yeah. go there? Yeah. Can we go there? Because I ain't had a chance to say this. Where the camera at? You welcome, America. <laughs> you welcome. Thank Jason Whitlock and thank myself. Because ain't nobody going to tell us thank you because you realize what we did, right? What? We put the pressure on Simone Biles. We put the pressure on her. <laughs> and now what the, what's she doing? She's competing. She's getting ready to compete. Yeah. So somebody needs to tell us thank you for doing what we're supposed to do as elders. I don't know how I feel about that Houdini song, though. I, it was funny and hilarious. I sent it to some friends of mine. They found it funny and hilarious. I was like, it's supposed to be a... It, it, do you have a Bible story today? I'm in the right mindset for a Bible story today. Can, can I get a Bible story? You got that coming from me. All right, go ahead. All right, let's go. Yeah. Um, today's story, if I may, uh, I'm going to take you back and I'm going to tell you the story about the three brothers. The three brothers? Three brothers. That sounds like a movie. No, just check it out. It's three brothers, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Say those names again. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Now, a lot of people don't know this. Oregano? Abednego. Abednego. The word Abednego, Abednego. that's Swahili. It means a mean Negro. (laughs) Okay. 
All right. Now, these three brothers came up in a time when the president of the country was a man by the name of King Nebuchadnezzar. Okay? That's actually a biblical name. That's his name. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. And you might remember King Nebuchadnezzar because he was one of the first men in the Bible to ever come down with sugar diabetes during his reign. And thus having to get his leg chopped off and thus calling the people in the community, calling him King Nubby. <laughs> okay. Nonetheless, King Nebuchadnezzar. He caught the sugar. He caught the sugar. Go ahead. Okay, he caught the sugar. And, you know, the, the, and so he had a statue built of himself. Nubby did. Nubby had a statue built of himself. Yeah. And he put it outside the federal building. And he put it outside the federal building and he said that all people entering the federal building must bow down and worship the statue or they would be immediately thrown into the fiery furnace, which to me was kind of ironic because it kind of sounded like how the Democrats is kind of trying to do us now with this Corona shot if we don't want to take it. You know what I mean? Mm. Okay. Corona, George Floyd, statues. I kind of like where you're going. You're, you're making a, a biblical story and applying it to today. That's good. That's what we do here. Yeah. Well, the king, finally, king sees what's going on. The king said, what y'all going to do? Come on here, man. We got people lining up. Are y'all going to bow down or what y'all going to do? Shadrach looked and he said, brothers, is we down with G-O-D? <laughs> and boy, Shadrach said, yeah, you know me. <laughs> as soon as he said that, man, the king threw their ass in the furnace. Really? Must have upset him. Because the king, when he threw him in there, the king said, not only did he put him in the furnace, he said, turn the temperature up seven times hotter than what it normally would be. So it was already set on hell. This was Nelly. It's getting hot in here. It was already set on hell. Yeah. He turned it up seven times hotter than hell. Wow. That's how upset it was. And when he turned it up, man, all you heard was yelling and screaming. The king like, yeah, that's what y'all get. The Bible said that the screaming and they said the yelling went on and on until the break of dawn. Okay. <laughs> and so finally the king got to thinking, he said, now hold on now. They should be done by now. They saw that all that yelling should be done by now. He said, somebody see what's happening. What's going on with them over there? And, and, and he said, he went to listen. And he said, well, what are they saying? He said, well, king, they said that the roof the roof, <laughs> sir, they said the roof is on fire. <laughs> we don't need well, no they water. They said, we don't need no water. <laughs> they said, let it burn. Mm. The king said, what? The king said, I got to see for myself. He grabbed it. He opened up, the, you know, pull it up on the screen. And sure enough. But then as soon as he looked, the screen, the, 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 the king said, hold up. He said, there's four people in, the, in there. I put three people in there. They said, King, that's what we've been trying to tell you. Say, remember when they told you, they kept saying Jesus got us. They said, Jesus got our back. You know, they said, Jesus is in there with them. Well, by this time, the king panics. Oh, Lord, because, you know, he know Jesus' daddy don't be playing this. He don't want to get on the bad side of Jesus' daddy. You know what I'm saying? So he heard, shut that off, shut that off. He can get Jesus out of there. So he, he hurried up, you know, he getting Jesus out. 
you know, he, Jesus, look at, look at me. I, Jesus, I don't want no, this was a misunderstanding. Uh, I, Jesus, I don't want no problem. Don't be going back telling your daddy. And man, Jesus is real cool. And this is why they tell us we need to be more like Jesus. You know, because Jesus came out here and Jesus is like, <coughs> and you know, Jesus, he's like, King, Jesus, what do I need to do to make this up? Man, Jesus is real cool. Jesus said, <coughs> first of all, I'm going to need you to stop what you're doing because I'm about to ruin the image and the style that you're used to. And it was at that very moment that the king passed the law. And he said that anybody using the Lord thy God's name in vain will be torn limb from limb. And that is the story. Whoa, wait a minute, hold it, hold it. See, you don't get the moral of the story, do you? You don't get it, do you? No. The moral of the story is, ain't that just like a Democrat to mess something up and then want to turn around and get credit for fixing it? <laughs> you down with G.O.D.? Yeah, you know me. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. That was pretty good. Not a bad Bible story. Uh, and you mixed in a little music, too. That was good. That was good. <laughs> All right, let's get to our approval rating. For CNN's Brian Stelter, uh, I'm sure we're in total agreement here that Brian Stelter is a dumpster fire. Uh, job performance, his ratings are in the toilet. I give him a two. Uh, I give him a 25. Jim, that, <laughs> that's a perfect score. His ratings are in the toilet. He's doing desperate stuff. 25 is as high as you can go. I take it you've never seen him in Seinfeld. <laughs> The man was amazing in Seinfeld. That's Costanza. That is, that's Jason Alexander. That's not Brian Stelter. <sighs> 25, all right. Character, I give him a one. He has no character. Well, I give him, I give him a 13. I mean, he's not nearly as funny on CNN as he was as George Costanza. <laughs> but it, it works for me. All right. Authenticity. He, he'll do anything for his paycheck, but I don't find him very authentic. I'll give him a three. I give him a 21. Personally, I love his brother, Ben Stiller. <laughs> his daddy was Jerry Stiller. He played the daddy on Seinfeld. Mm. Yeah, so, I mean, I give him a 21. That, that's, that, that keeps it, you know, that's real. All Keep right. it in the family. It factor, he's bald and fat. Zero. It factor. Uh, it factor for me, he ain't no Jerry Seinfeld. But I'm going to tell you, for, hey, man, he, he gets a 21 for me. I, I, I like I like the stanza. I like it. Well, you do like thickness. <laughs> <laughs> you blew a blue M&M. All right, I got him at a dumpster fire. Somehow you have Brian Stelter at a smoke show. I'm going to have to explain this, this whole thing to you again at, some other, at, at a point because I, I just... So you just like every other black man. You don't like Seinfeld. <laughs> no. So, uh, Seinfeld was okay, but not my, not my company. Oh, oh it, it, it wasn't a, uh, was a ga ga game, game of horns. <laughs> no, it was not game of horns. It wasn't Tamar. Do you hear Tamar playing right now? Freedom. My favorite song. Then I get a lip of freedom. Love tomorrow. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. No negotiation, my sister, no relation. We all just want to have freedom.
I just want, I wanna be, I just want, I wanna be, I just want. 